Hello, you're listening to The Joys of Teaching Literature. My name's Scott. We're here talking about all things how to make your life easier and stay sane and uh, enjoy going to work and uh, get pleasure out of teaching, which is not always easy because there's a lot of you know essay grading and emails to answer, meetings to go to, but we're trying to make it fun and make it easy and make it as enjoyable as possible. So if you want to know more about me, I have a website, theteachersworkshop.com. I offer online professional development for high school English teachers and for general education teachers as well. So it's where you can read my blog and uh, see some of my resources on Teachers Pay Teachers, some of which are free, so you can check that out. Um, So this week uh, we're talking about, I called it, I always have a problem titling my, because I'll write these blogs about something and then I don't know what to title it always. Um, because it's sometimes all over the place and not about one particular topic. It's like a concept that I don't really know what how to label it. Um, so this one's it's, it's kind of I was thinking about um, the things that we do to get kids to think for themselves, right? The sort of whole objective of what we do is to get kids to think independently. Um, so I'm calling this academic success uh, explained in seven steps. And so it's sort of coming out of a conversation. I had a co- with a colleague this week, and we were talking. I feel like I have, I, I feel like I talk about this with my students at the beginning of the year. Um, I try to not, be, you know, I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but I feel like the beginning of the year I lecture a lot because there's a lot of things that they need to learn, <laughs> right? New skills, new concepts, just the idea of literature. It's 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 some good conversations, but there is a little bit of like, okay, we have to go through this PowerPoint right now and. This is, you know, how I weight grades and just like some basic stuff where you have to kind of talk. I, I have a little unit on uh, the college essay. It's a personal narrative. Um, so there's a lot of talking, you know, advice giving kind of for that. Um, but in general, we're, we're kind of just thinking about, I think it's also us trying to explain our style to them. And, I, you know, I think it, it is a good thing that teachers have different styles. There's Obviously, it's good that... Sometimes we, there's things in common, sort of common language, especially with our this subject area. You know, there's claim, warrant, evidence, topic sentence, supporting sentences, thesis, arguments, rhetoric, right? All these different sort of terms that we use to describe different things. Um, I remember even somebody saying, I'm having trouble telling the, talking about the, like selecting evidence, selecting quotes to pick. Like I don't, I'm trying to articulate like, it's got to be a good quote, but that doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound good. Hey, pick a good quote, right? And I was like, oh, you know, it's the way that I frame it is it's worthy of interpretation, right? It's got to be something that that has enough sort of ambiguity in it, you know, or sort of mystery to it that where re- requires some explanation on our part. You're not just going to pick a, pick a random plot point. Um, you know, you could. You could pick up a, a random sort of quote that has plot in it and use it to explain the behaviors and motivations of the characters, what drives them, like their psychology, that kind of thing. Um, but when it comes to like literary techniques and different things, you know, you're talking, you're sort of on the level of, well, why did the writer say it this way? Why did they express it this way? Um, then that, that those moments really require us to interpret it, right? And so, that, you know, just, I'm always having conversations like that where I get frustrated with something and I sort of explain it to, to somebody else, uh, sort of explain my question or just my frustration with, with to somebody else. And like, oh, I, I kind of, I talk about it like this. Um, so it's always good to have those conversations. We were talking about um, 
just, you know, how to, how to politely kind of explain to kids without saying, you know, don't, don't sort of, I use the word recycle a lot. Don't recycle the ideas that we discuss in class. Um, a lot of the times they're so, even when they quote, they're so close to saying what the author is saying, right? That you want them to, you want them to, like I just said, think independently about the book. So you already have that challenge where it's the text. And then on top of that, they're taking notes while they read. Um, they're taking notes on our lectures, right? Sometimes we do sort of talk about the book for a little while. So they're writing down what we're saying. And then there's the conversations we have in class where all different classmates are sort of contributing their understanding of the text and explaining it. You know, they have conversations among themselves. You know, say they're often pairs or groups. So they have those conversations and then they share those conversations with the class um, in some kind of presentation or just sort of quick informal, you know, share back of what they found. So they're taking notes on that. And so they're writing down, you know, exactly what they're listening to. Um, in the case of the of reading, they're sometimes just writing down exactly what they're reading. And so so that's kind of what we were talking about. It's like how do we convince them that in there somewhere is is thinking, <laughs> is their thinking and not our thinking and somebody else's thinking. Um, you know, of course these our students are going online. It's not necessarily a bad thing, right? They've researched the text and it can be a bad thing if they're not reading the text, of course, right? Um, but you know, they're turning on to going online to try to find to make sense of what they're reading because they don't they just can't because it's Faulkner, or it's Alston, or it's Virginia Woolf or whoever it is. And they're just trying to make sense of exactly what it you know, not even an interpretation. They just want to figure out what's going on with the plot. You know, say it's beloved by Toni Morrison. It's not always clear completely what you know what's going on in the plot. Um, so they have to uh, make sense of it and so they turn online and so they're listening to they're listening to these arguments that are online um, so they're getting all of this you know maybe they're if they're lucky they have a tutor or their parents right there's all these voices but the question is where's their voice where's their ability to think and it's not just about interpreting literature usually that's where we go right uh, but when they're writing and just a regular run-of-the-mill essay on a topic because right, that's really all at the word essay just means a piece of writing on a topic. We just happen to write on the topic of a novel right, or character in a novel and why they're doing the things they're doing. Uh, but it can be anything. Um, so we want them. To, so if in the case of a regular essay on a topic like dogs or sports or whatever, um, you know, they, they have to do a lot of research and thinking and you know, maybe reading other essays or other sources online or maybe it's a novel, poem, short story, whatever it is they're reading, you know, they ultimately, it's it's almost impossible for, for a child, right? I think they, like I was actually surprised to learn in college, I forget what the age, I think it was 22 or 24 is the age when most people start thinking independently. There's some study that was done on that. Um, like, when can you really, truly think a thought for yourself and not just, you know, give your teacher back what they want to hear, that kind of thing. And just, like, the way I kind of express it, it's, 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 she's sort of looking for a polite way of telling her students, you know, to not, like I said, you know, I say, don't be a sponge, right? No, nobody wants to be, you're not accusing them of being a sponge, you're saying, like, don't write something that's just you soaking something else up and giving it back and squeezing it out and give it back to me. Right? You want it. Uh, to be your thought and so that's the journey is to to get to their thought and so that's 
uh, sort of what we're talking about today. You know, and you think about it, uh, it's becoming more and more common for students to think that they shouldn't have to work for an answer or a solution to a problem. Since they were in the generation that we're dealing with now, I'm getting older and older. Uh, when they were children, they had the internet, like whatever age. I think it's usually middle school. I feel like kids start getting phones. <laughs> Maybe it's earlier than that now. I, might, I mean, my kids have tablets. Um, they're not exactly like researching online. They're just watching uh, Ava Radley or whatever crazy show is on YouTube or Bluey is another popular one with my kids. But either way, it's they have devices. and um, But I think they're starting to sort of get the smartphones earlier and earlier, right? And so the internet has given them instant answers to all of life's random mysteries, from gardening to cleaning to eating, a tiny device that you know, is in their pocket that goes everywhere they go can end most of our students' pressing questions. It's, so it's our job to convince them of the value of learning from reading books a task that requires patience and an attention span that lasts longer than a few seconds, right? And so that's, that's, that's a challenge, but that's, that's, we're always going to be in that situation. There's never a time, I don't think. I think that it's, we're so far into it now that books would have disappeared. You know, I think there was some feeling of like, what, what is the internet going to destroy next? You know, they took out the travel agent, <laughs> you know, they took out, uh, you know, I don't know what else they took out, but, um, there's a lot of industries, right, that, you know, even when you order food, there's probably a robot on the other end, right, or, you know, s- customer service, right, they destroyed customer service, some algorithm is answering your question, <laughs> and not a real person, so I think there was some feeling like, oh my gosh, the internet's going to, like, kill books or something, like, they never went away, and, that, you know, when you're reading something of that length, I think that's what sort of happened over time, is that, I mean, you can have, you obviously, people started reading on devices, uh, and that's been great. I can read a novel on my phone. I, I've done that. I've, there's audio books. I've done that. And, you know, so there's different ways that people c- consume information. Uh, but books, I don't think they're going to go away, especially when you're dealing with long text. You know, uh, you know, there's a lot of different thinking about, I read a couple different articles about whether we read more now than we did before or read less because it's, it's, you know, it's hard to come up with these kind of statistics. But, you know, books are the most valuable sources of information. They're the most scholarly, right? They're well-researched usually. Um, and so so that's our that's our job is to create people who, you know, to create people. <laughs> that's weird. We're creating fa- Frankensteins now to, the, uh, to inspire people, our students, uh, to read for long periods of time. And that's this is what we're competing against, right? Um, is like, no, you can't just look up an answer to some things. Like knowledge and wisdom, like these are different. Like, there's, there's, that's, it's great. I do it all the time. I ask my phone questions all of the time. How do I, you know, get grass seed to grow in my front yard? It's like a battle of a lifetime to try to get grass seed to grow, right? Um, we all, we're always asking about how to, like, say, clean things or cook things, right? Um, or fish or whatever, whatever your interest is, or kick a soccer ball better, or swim. I remember, you know, when I first became a swim coach, I was like, well, I better brush up on the latest swimming techniques, right? So I went to YouTube and so I watched the flip turn underwater and I'm watching all this stuff that I didn't, you know, when I was in high school, I didn't have access to all that stuff. So, um, you know, it's a good, it's definitely a good thing, you know, but we, we have, to, it's something we have to compete against. And it's the reason why our kids 
become sponges, right? They become people that can consume information but not necessarily think from themselves. And that's what we want them to, when they graduate, is to really be able to, to consume large amounts of information and be able to think for themselves. Um, and you can see it in the writing, right? What's the difference between an A writer and a B writer? Well, you know, there's, there's all read unoriginal writing, right? We know what it sounds like when we read it. It's just unoriginal. It recycles a combination of our lectures, online resources, class conversations. But for students to think creatively, to truly think creatively, they need to put in the hard work, not just look for quick instant answers. They need to do their own thinking, and teachers need to explain when and how that thinking should take place. So this is important. This is not the seven sort of little things I'm going to go through quickly here are not things that, that I, I think to some extent are in the background, and we're doing it as teachers. We're, we're be mindful of these seven six steps of success. I'm sure you do it in your classroom to, you know, to some extent in some way or, or another. And actually, I think the steps that I'm going to describe go across disciplines. I think this is a general way of like learning and studying um, that's not unique to teaching English. Uh, it's, just, it's just the things that you need to do to be successful in school. But I don't think that we communicate those, that path to success enough. Like we, we model it in our class. We have these steps in place where they can do all the things that I'm, going to, I'm about to describe, but we don't always talk about it. And I think there is, especially at the beginning of the year, or at some point in the first couple of months, there's a good opportunity, say, you know, on the day that you're going to talk about how to write an essay or before a big test, something like that, where it's like, hey, let's talk about how you can be successful in this class, in life, in general. Um, there's, a, there's a process to, to thinking independently. There's a path that you can put yourself on so that you can think independently and not just grab random stuff and put it together and, and say it's and say it's yours right you want to be able to say it's yours not someone else's thought but your thought um so and we shouldn't keep this a mystery from our kids right we should be open and, and say if you want to do well this is what you do um so here's this this sort of really basic seven steps right the first thing is read and listen so that's the foundation of all education. It's the most important. This, all of these sort of build on each other. But obviously, you can't do anything or go anywhere if you're a scientist or, you know, you're doing biology, chemistry, calc. If you're a mathematician, you're doing calculus, um, physics. You can't, you can't, you know, have independent thought about anything or understand anything unless you really read the text, whatever it is, your textbook or a novel or whatever. Uh, and listen to your teacher. <laughs> you know, just, I think there's a lot of people that might disagree with me that you can just read on your own and learn and watch videos online or whatever. And there's there's truth. You know, I I myself have online classes where I teach. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to say that doesn't happen. But um, you know, that's the idea is that you're listening to me teach about teaching uh, and learning, hopefully getting your own ideas about what you're going to do in your class. What you're going to do in your class is maybe a little bit similar to what I do in my class, but you're just generating ideas for yourself. That's why I teach that class, right? And that's why we all teach is that we think what we do has value. So I think there's some line of thinking that ultimately this is like a process that where students can guide themselves. But there's some truth to that. And I think we can help guide students, you know, on their journeys to, to select text you know independently and, and do uh, choose their own things uh, to, to pursue and learn um, but but reading and listening that's the foundation it's got that has to happen 
all good writing and thinking starts with reading and listening. It's important to stress to students that both reading and listening requires the same process of thinking and, this is the important part, which I'll get to, is documenting those thoughts. It's not just absorbing the information. You have to write down um, what you're thinking and not just what you're hearing, but what you're thinking. Um, reading and listening are not passive activities, but involve a mental interaction with the words. So the second thing is to think independently. So just to, to, as a preview, the third kind of step is to take a note, right? So the first thing you do is read and listen. And, and mentally, right, the, the, this is the key thing, is that you're thinking, right? Student, students um, shouldn't merely write down what they read or hear. And when I describe what, a, what is a note, because <laughs> they ask, like, what do you mean by take notes? I'm like, all right, well, this is what it is. You know, you might write down a quote, you might down, write down summary, but the important thing is that you're writing down your interpretation of what you're reading, right? Um, so they're not just going to write down quotes. They're not just going to write down, you know, basic information. Uh, quoting a text or lecture has value, right? But, you know, that's something interesting, right? Well, you, you could ultimately quote your professor or your teacher, you know, saying, okay, you know, just like you would say uh, literary criticism or something, you'd have to give that quote. So nobody's going to do that. But that's kind of the idea, right? Um, it's how a student makes sense of the information that matters. Notes should be uh, short and quick. Uh, it shouldn't distract them. You know, it shouldn't be something where they're taking notes for three, four, five minutes and not paying attention to what's going on because there's a, a lot going on in class. Everybody who teaches knows there's a lot of different comments. Actually, this happened just today. Uh, where I'm going through and not, we're just practicing identifying literary techniques in these two poems. And we didn't, we weren't talking about, I was talking about meaning kind of broadly, but you know, a poem basically means this, but let's just, let's just learn these techniques first. We're going through and we're identifying and I'm going quick, you know, because that's my pace. And I have this co-teacher in the class and uh, she's like, hey, like, can we just, can you go over that one real quick? I, I think like I'm having trouble writing these down myself. So it was like, okay, like, all right, let's go over this again. This one is this, and you can see the heads nodding, like, okay, yeah, I got that now, and I got this now. And so that that pace and that rhythm is really important to not go too fast, right, because you'll lose a lot of kids. Um, so notes are the same way. You don't want notes to be this thing that takes them away from what's happening in the class because there, there is so much happening so quickly. Um, we want students to react to the material, not just mindlessly write down facts right so that's the third thing i've already kind of talked about a little bit is is to take notes but the key thing here is to take organized notes so uh, the way that i have uh that i run my classes that i have uh, my lessons are on a topic and so i have scaffolded notes where the there's basically like this outline where it's like all right we're going to go over this passage this passage this passage here's the question that we're going to ask uh, you know, sort of that you have to ask yourself as you're reading these passages. So you can sort of answer the question, but you can also just take a note on that passage. But it's a list of all those passages. So it's, it keeps them on track. Um, and as I go around the, the class, I can say like, which, what, you know, what, what passage are you on? And all right, if you're on this one, you got to hurry up and keep, keep up. So that way I can keep everybody on at the same pace. So there's not kids like rushing ahead and kids like falling behind. So it's a good way that I can kind of say, all right, you know, you don't need to spend that much time on these. You know, if you're on, say, this passage, you really got to catch up because the rest of the class is here, that kind of thing. So it kind of keeps the, an even rhythm to things, 
but the, any whatever you know whatever it is you know if you I don't know, if you happen to listen to this and you're teaching chemistry or whatever you know it's just like hey I'm going to talk about these things if you're lecturing right I'm talking about these things here's a space to write down and process uh, the, something on this topic so for me it's a passage for somebody else it's you know mitosis I don't even I think I just made that word up <laughs> I don't know osmosis I think that's what I was looking for I don't know whatever um, you know some of the thermodynamics I don't know. I just threw that out there too <laughs> whatever the topic is you have that on there you know if it's going to be a minute or two that you lecture about it or that you have a conversation about it or that you're writing something on the board to help them understand it they can sort of copy down what, what whatever it is that you're saying to understand that topic but it's got to be organized maybe it's maybe it's columns maybe it's circles you know, whatever it is, it's got to be organized so that, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, they're on the same page. Um, it helps them prioritize the most important information and not get distracted by this this one thing, uh, again, that they're just sort of writing a lot about. Um, if they zone out or get distracted, they know what they missed and how to get back on track. It's especially helpful if they actually miss class because they're sick or whatever. It's like, well, here's what we went over. Here's the, the, the scaffolded guided notes. Uh, that you can make up, um, you know, when you come back. Every conversation should have a guiding question or an objective so students can stay grounded and eventually practice, or sorry, participate in even more meaning-making when they study. So that's always the point is so that it's it's something that it's, it's at least a little bit organized so they're not just looking at a bunch of words on a page, right? Imagine just reading a whole page with no paragraphs or no bullet points, right, uh, minor bullet points, the pa- you know the, the number is the bullet point the number on the passage but whatever it is for your class um, you just have this this topic or this question um, and when they study they can kind of glance at these four or five things or these say if it's fifteen passages and they're la- linked to a topic in my case that's how I do it but however you you organize it you want them to be able to glance at like say ten things and be like okay these are the ten things we talked about on this day here's the five things we talked about on this day. And so they can kind of glance at, say, a month, right? Think about it. You're, you're studying a novel for how long? Or you're in a unit of study in history, and you're learning about the Second World War. Imagine how much, right, different terms and events you're going to cover just to cover one war, names of people, all that kind of stuff. So you want to, like, put those names or those places or dates on the left-hand column and enable and allow your students to kind of take notes on their understanding of that topic person that event right whatever it is um, and this when they study they're like again okay there's four weeks of notes that I just took you know now I'm gonna kind of glance at this and I can sort of organize it in a way where I can look at it for an hour or whatever to study and and it makes sense to me I can remember what we did in class I can remember what I thought in class I can remember what everybody else was saying in class I can glance at it and sort of speed read it or read it. I used to read things twice when I studied, sort of quickly read it, then quickly read it again, right? Um, so that's that's the org- the notes that they take in class. Not not even none of these steps have homework, <laughs> right? I guess t- taking notes while you read that's right. It's hard to avoid in our field, but um, so for uh, study. So, you know, I mentioned these are basic. Four is study. So what does that mean? So in math, study means practicing more, going over practice problems. In the humanities, it means re- revisiting those independent thoughts that were worthy of a note. 
Uh, this doesn't have to be an independent process, but a good conversation with a classmate. That's important too. So once I got to college, I realized like, oh, this is that's a good way of studying. And I wish I would have done it in high school more on the phone or whatever. You know, we had landlines back then and not the internet or anything. You're not going to chat anyway in a text to study, right? You're going to get on the phone. Uh, you're going to get together at the library. Actually, I see my, when I, I went to the local library one time and bunch of my students were studying together. So they, they get it because it's, it's a nice little town that I teach in so they could like ride their bikes to the library it's not a huge town so um they could do that right and i know that's a challenge sometimes when you get, get in a car or get somebody to drive you somewhere as activities after school it's hard to organize right but but that is it's super valuable to have that like a space for kids to have a conversation maybe you have it in class okay we're going to sort of pretend to study right now i want everybody to get out their notes and just talk just talk about the notes that you took talk about you know what the main points of this book are you know, that sort of thing. So you're like sort of modeling. Again, doesn't even have to be homework. Studying, I think we assume is going to be homework. But studying, you know, and again, reviewing notes can be something that happens in class um, before, you know, say a big essay that you're about to assign. And that's where the brain, the, I'm going to get to brainstorming in a second. Um, but but we know, I, I actually, I think I was just listening to research that was done. I think I was reading an article um, that that when student explains their ideas out loud or basically teaches their ideas, yeah. What what was that? Was it Edu Week and Ed Week, um, or uh, Ed, Ed, uh, you, I can't remember the website. But either way, um, yeah, that's what these leaders are saying. It was like it, there's extreme value to when a when a student explains their idea or basically teaches their or you know expresses their understanding of the material themselves rather than just like trying to internalize it silently to themselves. You know, and then, you know, when when you're doing that, either by yourself or with a group, what you're also doing and encouraging your students to do is to write down new ideas from those conversations. So you're, you know, so you have your old ideas on the paper, and then you're you're sort of discussing those old ideas, and in the discussion of those ideas that you sort of memories, right? The memories that we had in class, they had in class conversations. They then sort of exchange those ideas and get new ones. And that those new ideas then are really going to make writing that essay or performing well on the test really easy. Uh, so the fifth process is sort of what I'm describing already is brainstorming. But when I say brainstorming, I mean, because um, you could kind of describe what I was talking about before is brainstorming. But brainstorming for me really is, okay, now you're going to write the essay. So brainstorm. Like what, did, what, what are the conversations that you had? What are the new notes that you took from your old notes? You know, you're going to look over everything. Um, and that's, you know, another word is pre-writing. Right? Where students finalize and organize their thoughts moments before they must demonstrate their learning. They imagine what direction they will take. And this helps them write in a logical manner that moves from one place to another. You know it when you read it. You can see, like, this person thought out this essay. They did a lot of thinking before they sat down and write, right? So that you're giving, you have to give them that opportunity to do that. And, and, and again, talk, you, you can't just say, you know, you can't just expect them to, to, to do this, what I'm describing, right? This, these moments before writing. You have to tell them about it. It's like, hey, before you write, take a couple of minutes and organize your thoughts, right? You should have done a lot of thinking and talking before this, but you know, maybe that means creating a graphic organizer. Maybe it means creating bullet points or just listing out the, the passages that they're going to use as evidence in their essay, that sort of thing. So you have to really demonstrate and model that for them. And, you know, maybe maybe collect them, uh, maybe require it for one essay. Say, I want you to pre, you know, pre-write a little bit and then show those pre-writing notes and be like, hey, look, without, you know, without any student's name on it, say, hey, 
check out this this person's pre-writing, look at it, what it looks like, that sort of thing. Of course, we can create classroom activities that also model pre-writing, right? Where we help, we you know expect them to write, um, to create graphic organizers and all those different things. So that's in essence what we're doing during a class activity. If we're doing a one pager or a poster, a group poster, you know, or, or Google drawing or even a Padlet, you know, I got into those last year. They're all basically ways of us saying like. See, this is what you do before you sit down and write something more formal. Um, it's about seeing the, the the big picture, right? That's what that's about. All right, so the sixth step is to to finally sit down and write, you know, create, perform, you know, um, whatever it is. When I say perform, you know, it could again if you're taking a test in physics or something, right? It's just about performing, you know, demonstrating your knowledge. So most students should demonstrate their learning through formal analytical writing, but they can also express their creative thoughts, well, creatively, <laughs> with a podcast, short story, poem, video essay, or film. If students go through all the previous steps that I just described, writing should be easy. And this is the big thing that I say, right? Like the point of all of this is that you're working hard before so that you don't have to work hard when you write. And writing also won't, t- won't take as long. You don't need to have like a whole afternoon to write or three or four hours on a Saturday. Most of my writing activities are in class or 45 minutes. But kids have, my students have so many notes that they write three, four, five pages in 45 minutes because they have so much that they that they thought about and went over in class that they're really just, you know, formalizing it in sentences. So they already had all of these thoughts that they documented. So there's not that much work involved, right? It's just a way, it's just a means of organizing it. Um, they won't get writer's block if they've already done the thinking that goes into to writing and creation. All right, so revise and review is number seven, uh, the last step. So you grade the essay, you know, you, you have them consider your, your feedback. You, they review their writing, revise their work. You don't want them to make the same mistakes, right? So that's what that's what this step is about. No matter again, no matter what, you know, if you just give a test back with multiple choice tests and be like, hey, you, know, you failed, let's go to the next thing, right? Or you you got a C or a B, let's go to the next thing, right? You want them to, to have a little bit of time to just look over what they did and understand what they did wrong, right? It's very important. And again, any field, all these steps are important for any subject that, that kids are in school. Um, they need to know what worked and what didn't. You know, if, if this say, like, let's compare this to a business, right? If a company creates a product that no one buys, <laughs> everyone talks about what they're going to do next. You don't just like shrug your shoulders and move on to the next thing, right? You fix what's wrong and you learn from it. You know, this process is, some microcosm of what happens in any field, right? We read and listen to the great minds that came before us, engage in a collaborative process to fully understand their work, and then set out to do our own thing. Keeping the status quo is inevitable if students take the easy route by taking in facts and not doing anything with them. You know, this, this what I described is the essence of education. It's what we are there for. It's our most important role in the classroom. Is because you know, otherwise we could just say go on the internet and learn this technique, right? But but this process and explaining this process to students that it's not just about looking at words somewhere, right? It's it's there's a there's a and and I think there's something democratic to this process too, where it's not just I'm reading this and I'm thinking it, right? Like there's no space for a teacher there. This, the, the 
purpose of teaching is to facilitate good democratic conversations where you might think one thing about this, but let's consider this other person's point of view. How does that add to your understanding, to your wisdom? Your wisdom is not just, I am brilliant and I'm so smart and I thread this and I'm going to go think of this now because I'm Einstein, right? Um, Einstein was a collaborator too, right? Sort of exchanging ideas with different people and talking things out, thinking them through, trying different techniques when something didn't work. You know, that is the process of education where we're there uh, guiding these conversations, uh, organizing things for our students, telling them what they need to do to be successful because they honestly sometimes just don't. They get frustrated and then they say when they don't do well, it's like, well, education is so stupid. I can go learn for myself. And it's like, no, you know, you're, you're just frustrated with your inability to perform. Let's talk about how you can perform and how you can learn. Uh, in a way where you're engaging with other people. It's a social process. The teacher is involved in it. The teacher gives you good ideas to think about in this process. Uh, is a, obviously is a model for, for sort of how to, you know, understand the material and practice the material. If it's, a, you know, if, again, if it's physics or math, we're modeling how to get something done. If it's literature, we're modeling how to interpret it. And so we're giving them ideas and helping them make sense of these really, really complicated things like novels and formulas and equations and history. Um, and we're just there to sort of answer any questions they have when they get confused or frustrated with something. Um, and again, to engage in that process. So all these steps are really about really this democratic sort of approach um, to institutional education, which I think works. And I see it work all the time um, because there's there's a direction and a logic to it. It's organized and it's sometimes working in the background. But again, I think it's important for us to express to students like, hey, this if you want to be successful, this is how you do it. That's it, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>